So we're jumping right into the message. We are talking about waiting in anticipation, waiting in anticipation, waiting for God to do something, anticipating God to move. I think it's every boy's dream to dream about their wedding day. I think it's, <laughs> wait, wait with anticipation. You know, like, what am I going to wear What's the location going to be like? Is it going to be a beautiful outdoor wedding with butterflies? <laughs> right? Or is it going to be one of those big cathedral weddings? Every, every boy dreams about this. The time where you get to walk down the aisle and everybody stands up. Not at all, right? The wedding day is all about the bride. Let's be honest. It's all about the bride. All I have to do is show up and be clean shaved. I do know that, right? Got to be shaved and, and uh, everything else is like, it's all up to her. The guy walks down the aisle before the bride and stands at the front of the stage and just waits. And that's what you do. You just wait in anticipation. <laughs> Only once have I been to a wedding where the groom walked down the aisle to a theme song. But he was also wearing a white suit. <laughs> and he danced down the aisle. It was amazing. I remember that wedding. I've been to a lot of weddings. That's the only one that I've seen the groom come down to a song. It was great. Every other wedding I've been to, you know who the star of the show is. It's the bride. Everybody stands to see her smile, to see her, her dress, see the train. You know, how long is it? Look at her hair. Every, every wedding. That's what you're waiting for. I remember my wedding like it was yesterday. I was standing at the front of the stage waiting for Amy, my wife right here, to show up. <laughs> In anticipation, and there are some thoughts going through my head, like, is she going to come? Is, is she going to make it? I would respect that if she doesn't. So I'm standing there. Go ahead and put up my slide. Yeah, that's us. You know, I got my cool earrings and look like a straight-up backstreet boy. Right? Do you see why I was a little nervous? <laughs> you don't have to agree that hard with it. But then she walked in the room, and we put our wedding together in two weeks, and you would have swore that we had been planning this for centuries just how beautiful she was. And just walked in the room, she was smiling from ear to ear with this goofy smile. And just her hair was amazing. Just so beautiful. And I just got to stand there and wait in anticipation for my wife to come down the aisle. Just waiting, anticipating her being mine and me being hers. 
Today, I want to talk to you about waiting in anticipation for what God's doing in our life. Waiting in anticipation that the Lord wants to do something, that he wants to move, that he wants to free us. Waiting in anticipation. We're looking at the book of Acts, and we talked about last week how we can wait well. We can be proactive in the waiting. The disciples had Jesus all to themselves for three years. And then Jesus goes into heaven. But he's, before he goes into heaven, he actually says, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna fill you up and then you're gonna go and do amazing things. So what they did is they just waited. And so we talked about how you can wait well. Today I wanna talk about what does it look like to wait with an anticipation? Okay, God is doing something. He's told me something. He's promised me something. I'm going to wait with anticipation to see where he's leading me. I'm going to start preparing my heart for what he wants to do. So we're going to be looking at Acts 1, 12, and we're going to actually be reading a lot of the Bible today. You guys came to church. We're going to read the Bible. <laughs> Acts 1 through 12, or 1, 12, and then we're going to keep reading on. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Would you guys just pray with me? Um, I would love to get out of God's way, okay? That's my goal today is like to get completely out of the Lord's way and for him to just speak directly to your hearts. And so would you just pray with me that that can happen today? So Lord, um, yeah, we just wait on you. We thank you for the plans that you have for each one of us in this room. That you want to speak to your kids. You know the desires of our hearts, the, the thing that we came in the door um, looking for, the, the, our week and the, the things that are currently on our minds, that we are looking for answers or whatever it may be. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just speak directly to us. Have your way. Lord, I just surrender this, this message to you, God. Would, would your word just be alive and living? Would you speak directly through me? Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. Can you say constantly? They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so you see, it's this group of people, the disciples, they've lost Judas, but now they're disciples, and they join together constantly in prayer. And it says the women, so this is most likely the women that went to the temp or to uh, Jesus' grave and have been a part of the disciples. And then you have also Mary, and this is actually the last time that you hear Mary, this Jesus' mom, mentioned in the Bible. How cool is it? The last time you think of Mary, you think of her constantly praying with people. I mean, that's that's what I want, like. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was the memory? You know, I remember Neil, he's constantly in prayer. And then just, that was, that was his life. So the last time we hear of Mary, praying with people. 
And then the other part of that is we have Jesus's brothers. Do you see that? It says, it says Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And I think that's really important for us because this is his brothers, the people that grew up with Jesus. Now, before, his brothers were totally skeptics of Jesus. His brothers came to the house where Jesus, do you remember that story? There's a story where they rip off the ceiling of a house and they lower down a guy. And so his mom and his brothers actually came to that house and said, Jesus, you need to come with us. You went off the rails. Like you need some help. Uh, well, let's try to get you back to sanity. And, and so like they were totally skeptics of Jesus and his ministry. His own brothers didn't understand his ministry. But now we have his brothers joining together with other people in prayer. And the difference is, is this, is the cross. The only thing that's happened from now to then is the cross. Jesus was raising paraplegics. Jesus was doing miracle after miracle, and his brothers still didn't understand things. But the cross made a difference. And so once Jesus died on the cross, all of a sudden the brothers go, that's what I'm buying into. That I can believe in. God sent his only son to die on a cross for me so that he can have a relationship with me. And so what that teaches me is like, if your avenue of trying to reach somebody is anything but the cross, you're barking up the wrong tree. The, the, the thing that is amazing and the power of the gospel is simply in the cross. And so our focus as Christians, if you have skeptics in your life and in your workplace and you know, their argument may be the church or something that's happened in the past, it always seems to be the case, or there's not a God, always go back to the cross because there's nothing like God sending his only son to die on a cross for you. I mean, how do you argue that? How, how, where do you put that? Where, where can you, you can't really like simplify that. It's it's powerful. That's amazing. And so what I love about this is now his brothers, because of the cross, are no longer skeptics, but they're believers. They're believers. And not only are they believers, but they write a couple of the books in the New Testament from skeptics to writers of the Bible. That's amazing stuff. Our focus is always the cross. Always go to the cross. It's amazing. The cross is just so good. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And I want you to just like kind of put yourself in the disciples' shoes for just one second. Your brother fell to sin. He sold Jesus out. This is somebody you just spent the last three and a half years of your life with, devoted to Jesus with you. you Jesus had a ministry and he went from town to town to town. The disciples didn't stay in separate hotel rooms. They like were together all the time and your brother falls in the sin. So I just want you to hear that, what it says. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Judas. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. 
There he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. And everyone, can you guys say everyone? Everyone Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Ekadama, that is, field of blood. I just want to say, think about your bad PR. I mean, talk about your bad PR as a disciple. So you're saying, I'm, I'm invited to be a disciple of Jesus? You mean like Judas? The dude that, that actually like went out in the field and, and died and like the whole town is aware of the disciples and what they did and Judas fell? I just think of all the times that over the years, if you've been a Christian for a while or if you've watched the news, just pastors falling. It's crazy to think that pastors and church leadership of a church are humans. Isn't that weird? I thought they were angels. Pastors fall. They make mistakes. They screw up. And that's what we have here is, is Judas. Judas had the best pastor in the business, right? He had belonging. He had purpose. And yet alone, he fell. He fell. There's so much grace and there's so much mercy in God. And so we got to look at, like, how does Judas fall? And then also, what happens next? Because now there's this big hole. Somebody falls into sin, and the whole entire town knows about it. So what are we going to do? In verse 20, it says, For Peter, it is written, uh, for Peter said, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, and let there be no one who would dwell in it. And may another take his place in leadership. Therefore, it is necessary for, one, for us to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken from us. For one of those must be a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed the names of two men, Joseph, called, uh, called Barsabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left us to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So they have this gigantic hole, the disciples. They know God has called them into something. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And then they have this big hole. Judas is gone. The entire town knows about this. But we got to go with next man up. So here's who's the next man. And so what they did is they cast lots. So think of like rolling dice pretty much is, is casting lots. And so Matthias got a six. And then Justice, who had you know, two, two nicknames, uh, he got a four. And so Matthias is, okay, you're one of the disciples, which is kind of interesting that um, in the Old Testament, they cast lots for a lot of decisions. They would pray, and then they cast lots. You see that in the Old Testament and some of the New Testament. But this is the very last time that lots are cast, because you no longer have to cast lots, because in our next chapter, 
In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and now the Holy Spirit's job is to give you guidance, to give you direction. So when you pray for something, it's the Holy Spirit living inside you that will actually confirm what the Lord is doing. You no longer have to roll dice whether or not to pay the electric bill or the water bill. For you know, like we can, we can ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. You, you can actually have the Holy Spirit's guidance in teaching you what to do next. So it's the last time lots are cast. So they're getting things in order. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit and they're waiting with anticipation. I wanna look at two different ways that they waited. The first one was they gathered together and prayed. They got together and prayed in anticipation for the Holy Spirit to come. We can get together and pray. We can uh, pray on our own on God's move and what he wants to do in our life. We can pray in anticipation for what the Lord is doing next and where he wants to lead us. It's in our prayers that we can grab a hold of the breath and the wind of God to know what to pray into next. It's in their prayer life that they actually start feeling this anticipation, okay, this is the direction that you're leading me. I'm following what you're doing, God. It's in our prayer life that we can do that. I just wanna give you a really quick example. Um, there's been a lot of violence in Davenport. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but it's happening, and that's our city. That's who we are. We're, we're in Davenport, and so there's, there's been a lot of violence, and so Praying with anticipation doesn't look like informing God that there's violence in Davenport. God knows. He, he's aware of that. He knows our hearts. He knows our city. He loves this city. So praying with anticipation looks like actually praying what we want to see in Davenport. And so we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that there would be peace that would rest over the city in Jesus' name. We pray in anticipation for a move of God that the hate would go away and love would invade. We pray for this to be an epicenter of what the rest of the nation could look like, that your kingdom come and your will be done. And so we're praying in anticipation for a move of God. We're praying for God's will to be done, for his hand to move in our city. We can pray with anticipation. The other thing the disciples did was they got their team ready. Losing Judas was a really big deal. He had a role to play on the team. There's a big hole there that needs filled. We need somebody to help. They knew what was going to happen next, that there was a move of the Holy Spirit. I don't think they knew the extent of that. In our next chapter, we're gonna read they went from a church of 120 to 5,000. Throw your church growth books out the window. Come Holy Spirit. But there's a hole to be filled. We're missing Judas. He was part of our team. He's part of our, our disciples. We, we need that person. I think we can do that in our own lives as we can be prepared, get our team ready, get our household in order for a move of God. 
I think of the rich young ruler. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is going from town to town, and he's doing these miracles, and everybody's aware of it, right? And so he comes to this town, and there's this rich young ruler, and he comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? I've done this, I've done that, I've done it all. And Jesus says, great, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what happens to the rich young ruler? He turns away sad. Jesus asked me to sell everything and give it to the poor. I got a lot of stuff. I want to take a little spin at that because we just think that he's maybe holding on to it really tightly. But what I was starting to see was do you know how many garage sales it would take to sell everything he had? <laughs> he didn't have Facebook market. I mean, think about it. You sell one car, how many responses? I mean, you can literally consume your whole day with responding. I'm just trying to sell a $25 desk. Come and get it. I don't care. Like, if you want it, come get it. This is the rich young ruler. He's got tons of stuff. He's got so much stuff that he has to sell it now. It's exhausting. Jesus, can I just give it away? Sell it all and then give it to the poor. And so what that means is you hear that Jesus is in this other town and then he's coming to another town and then here he's coming to your town. You can be working in anticipation that Jesus is coming and when he comes, I'm going to be ready. That means like preparing ourselves, preparing in anticipation. God, what are you calling me into? Because I'm ready to go. I'm sorry, but the rich young ruler probably already heard what it cost the disciples, which was Jesus came to them in the boats and said, hey, you follow me immediately. They left their boats and started following Jesus. That's the same exact call that the rich young ruler was going to come to. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple. Jesus is like, well, then come follow me. But he wasn't prepared. He wasn't anticipating God to call him. And the truth of the matter is, is nothing's changed because call it a call from Jesus and following Jesus costs you everything. It'll cost you everything, everything that you own, everything that you are, everything that you are created to be. It costs you everything, your plans, your agenda, your finances. It costs it all. Nothing's changed. And so what I hear in this is like we can be anticipating a move of God where God is calling us into something and we can be ready for it. Okay, whatever it takes, God, I'm ready. Oh, you're calling me? I'm ready to go. I want to follow you. I'll leave it all. We can be anticipating that, getting things in order. In your marriage, anticipate God is calling you into more. Get things in order. Get ready. If you're getting ready to have a baby, Read a parenting book. This just is really simple stuff. <laughs> but read a parenting book. Anticipate. Get ready. Get our houses in order. Get our finances in order. God, what are you calling me into? You can ride the fence on, on following Jesus 
and hold on to some stuff on the other side of the fence, but it only hurts you. Following Jesus cost everything. It costs it all. So anticipate God calling you. What are you doing to me next? What do you invite me to surrender? Because I want to surrender. I, I want to follow you with all my heart. Anticipating him calling us. So the, what the disciples did is they gathered together and prayed and then they got their houses in order. They, they got the team ready, and they're anticipating a move of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to read about next week. I invite you to come next week. Bring a friend next week. The Holy Spirit is moving. He is having his way with this church. This church is getting ready to explode. Okay? So get ready for it. Get ready. I started with that the bride. We're waiting for anticipation of the bride coming in the door. And one thing that I didn't even think of this, but one thing the Lord revealed to me this week was, you're the bride. You're the bride. You know, that beauty I saw on my wife's face, that's, that's how Jesus sees me. That's how he sees you. You're his bride. We are the church. The Bible says we're his bride. What I see is I see the Lord standing at the stage, and he's just waiting for his church. He's prepared the way. He's dressed in all white. He's just waiting for us to just go, God, we want you. Over anything else, you're our only hope. We want you in our city. Or we're willing to surrender whatever. He just waits for us to just walk down the aisle and become his. Where he puts that ring on our finger and he says, you are my bride. You're it. That's you today. I just invite you to respond. To respond to say, you know what? Man, I, I've I just want everything God has for me. <laughs> that means taking on his identity for you. That means taking on his identity that he's called you into. That means taking on him as your king, as your Lord, as your savior. It means taking hold of the cross and going, this is my only hope. None of us in this room are good enough to be Jesus' bride on our own. It's simply because of the cross. It's simply what Jesus did for us. And he stands here. He's prepared the way. He's done it all. He's just left us with, do you want me as your, do you want me as your husband? Do you want me? Do you want everything that I have for your life? Because I'm ready to give it to you. I think there's a move of God coming, 
And here's how it's going to happen. It's, we, we can't pray revival on our city. We have to pray revival in our church. Expecting somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ to all of a sudden like live this life that, that they don't even know Christ. It's up to the church to surrender and to respond and say, Jesus, just take everything I am. And I believe that the Lord wants to use this church mightily in this city. I believe that, that God wants to use this church so mightily in this city. And I think that it's this group of people right here responding and surrendering and saying, you know what, anything that is a wall between me and God right now, anything that I need to just take down, anything I need to surrender, I surrender it now. It's worthless. It's pointless to hold on to it. So let's invite you today. Let's, let's just surrender. Here's the invite. I just, I just invite you to just stand up and say, Jesus, I'm yours. If that's your very first time of doing that, if it's your hundredth time of doing that, I just invite you to do that. Just say totally and wholeheartedly, Jesus, I'm yours.